Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Ain't gonna hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the movie. Um, yet again, Sandro, another 90s horror film that I have seen countless times. Um, what was your introduction to this movie? Um pretty sure my dad rented it when it came out on video back you know when it was still relatively like a new release video mm -hmm. haven't seen it since okay uh upon revisiting it um like 25 years later uh do you have fond memories of your original viewing compared to now or do you think it holds up or do you think it just uh, it... i'm going to be completely honest with you <laughs> okay. my memories of the movie from when I was young are that this movie existed. I don't remember if I liked it, if I disliked it. I just literally acknowledged its existence. Yeah. There was a, I mean, there was a little Sandro version, you know, 25 years ago that watched a lot of movies, retained none of those memories. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't remember episodes we did of this podcast in the last year and a half. I don't, I'm not remembering stuff from 25 years ago. Oh, yeah, I know. We were talking earlier, and you were mentioning movies we covered that I have no memory of covering whatsoever. Nope. <laughs> but I definitely remember watching this a lot. And it's been a while since I last saw it. And I, I do remember it fondly. But watching it with a critical eye kind of changed things. Mmm. Mmm. Um, Foreshadowing. Well, it's it's another movie uh, uh, written by Kevin Williamson. Um, we talked Scream last week. Unfortunately, no one gets to hear that. <laughs> but he was shopping this script around for a while, and Scream got sold first. And this one was based off of a... Uh, early 70s young adult novel by Lois Duncan. And I think that might be why I'm finding problems with it, because it's not a Williamson original. Okay. It's just like, kind of, like, adjusted by him. Yeah, you can or tell... adapted. Uh, adap exactly. Adopted? Adapted? Adapted. Adopted. <laughs> just, <laughs> just crossed out her name and wrote his over it. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> <laughs> that's why easy. nobody wanted to buy it they're like you know this is not yours yeah, you know what you're doing is illegal right <laughs> so he just he came back and he changed the first paragraph so nobody read further than that and they were like alright we'll buy it yeah basically <laughs> um, no you can tell he obviously had a like his say on the story like he changed a lot um, it's a lot more violent uh, Lois Duncan was not a fan of the changes he made. Um, one of the biggest things I saw was that Duncan's daughter was actually murdered by an unknown assailant. And they never knew or they never discovered who her murderer was. Um, 
and, and taking that up a notch, like ramping it up to being like the main point of the movie, as opposed to the inner conflict between a group of friends who did something wrong and don't know how to deal with it. Turning it into a slasher film is, uh, is not what she wanted it to be. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what else I can see? I can see that this is the same person that did Scream. Yeah, definitely. It it definitely, definitely has a, a similar vibe. I mean, people didn't get to hear us talk about it, but I did watch Scream for our <laughs> Lost to the Nether episode of Scream. And there are a lot of similarities. So I can't even imagine what somebody who was a big fan of Scream when it came out in 96 you know, going into this movie would have thought if it was just a rehash, a, a copycat, or I don't care, I love Scream, I'm just going to love this too. It, it would be very interesting to to figure that dynamic out. Well, that that was me, actually. I loved Scream so much that when I saw this was coming out, I was just excited for it. And I watched it, and because I loved Scream so much, I'm like, this movie's great. It's, uh, I wouldn't say great. <laughs> I do find it weird that it's Williamson's second film in a row to star an actor from Party of Five. I mean, there must have been some deal going on there where they're just plucking actors from those movies or the that show. But um, yeah, it's it. I think it was the one-two punch of Scream followed by I Know You Did Last Summer um, that really reinvigorated the horror industry with uh, mystery and scares, especially for a slasher. Because there no longer is a reliance on nudity and gore to draw in crowds now. Uh, and I'll, I'll argue that this is probably the first of what I'm going to call the sanitized slashers. Okay. Yeah, they definitely, definitely tried to get Jennifer Love Hewitt to do a nude scene here or there. And she uh, flat out denied being like she wanted no part of it. Uh, and you can tell that the compromise was we're going to put you in skimpy clothing and accentuate curves because I that, mean, that's what this movie is. And that's what the fucking poster is. That's what the marketing is. It is almost more like starring Jennifer Love Hewitt's cleavage. I'm not against that. I <laughs> definitely can imagine 25 year old, uh, 25 year ago, Sandro was not against that either because she was one of my tops. Yeah. And like 15 year old me was loving every second of it. But you go back and you look at the marketing techniques then and you're like that. It just is so disingenuous. And it's such a weird trick to get like teenage boys to watch your movies. Whatever, man, it's marketing. It works. Exactly. It's 90s marketing. Things have <laughs> things have changed, Sandro. <laughs> yes, they have. <laughs> and by things have changed, things have very much stayed the same. We just don't acknowledge it. <laughs> Sex sells, man. What it are you going to do? always has. It always will. All right. So before we get into the plot, I like my little game here. Oh, shit. Okay. I, I wasn't even thinking about this. Okay. Hit me. There is only one actor who has appeared in a previous review. It's a good thing I cut out the silence in editing. Oh, <laughs> God. I don't think Jennifer Love Hewitt's been anything we've done. Uh, Ryan Phil, no. Freddie Prince, no. Has Sarah Michelle Gellar been anything we've covered? No, sir. 
Oh God, um, Bridget Wilson. You got it. What movie? Oh dear, I don't remember. I can only think of her in Mortal Kombat and Billy Madison. And we didn't do either of those movies, sir. I know. But we did do a movie with a golden ticket. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was Last Action Hero. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. I completely forgot she was in that movie. <laughs> did you completely forget we covered that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I was. No, I was. Well, I, yeah, actually, I was going to say, like, we didn't do Willy Wonka. <laughs> she wasn't did that. Also, uh, fuck that movie. It took you a second with the golden ticket. Dude, what? Which one? Willy Wonka or Last Action Hero? Oh, Willy Wonka, motherfucker. Okay, we had fun with Last Action Hero. Yeah, it was well, good. a good movie, but we had fun with it. Yeah, but they killed Jack Slater's second favorite cousin. Uh, that's how you get it to be a real personal story. Poor Frank. <laughs> that was his name? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody listening, don't go check. <laughs> Just assume that I'm right. I'm having difficulty remembering the characters' names of how uh, I know what you did last summer. I remember in Last Action Hero. Wow. Okay, that speaks volumes about how you feel about this one. No, it just speaks volumes of my shitty memory. All, All right. right. We're almost 10 minutes in. Plot time. Plot time. Um, we open with an establishing helicopter shot over the ocean, uh, eventually showing us the coastal community of Southport, North Carolina. I and love the song that's playing. Yeah. I have here absolutely amazing use of Typo Negative's cover of Summer Breeze. It's so good. Great job of setting the tone um, that sadly is never fully realized throughout the rest of the film, though. And I, that's a massive problem for me because you get a beautiful one shot like this, winding or like going over the ocean and then winding around a curvy rural road and then zooming in on somebody sitting on the edge of the rocks incredibly artistic you put typo negative over that you're setting a standard that you have to maintain and it just doesn't but on the on the topic of type o the soundtrack for this movie is phenomenal that's i was gonna bring that up at some point in this review and i brought it up i think in the scream review as well that again yeah. we will reference no one will ever know of it's like these 90s slasher movies got soundtracks they spent money. They spent a lot of money on soundtracks. But at that time, too, they were making a lot of money on like CD sales. But look look at just some of the, the bands on the soundtrack. Of course, you have Typo Negative. You got Kula Shaker, The Offspring, L7, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Our Lady Peace, and Corn. Like, that's an amazing lineup for a slasher soundtrack. Tell me you're a 90s soundtrack without saying you're a 90s soundtrack. Yeah, right? Um, but yeah, what a beautiful opening. Great, great opening. Sets a very, um, I want to say daunting atmosphere. Yeah, it really does. It, like I said, this opening scene sets an amazing tone that the movie seems to chase for the rest of its runtime. Fair enough. Um, like I said, we have that dude sitting on the rocks overlooking the ocean, ruminating over a, a some sort of a charm that he has. Um, uh, finishes off a beer and he looks like he's about to jump, but is distracted by fireworks because it's the 4th of July. Exactly. And on this 4th of July, we have the small town beauty pageant, which introduces us to the Croker queen finalists. Uh, yep. 
it that's a horrible name. Don't oh, call it terrible. that. Don't call it that. This is what we get after that intro. It's just a horrible name. Um, however, this is where we meet one of our our four leads, Helen Shivers, played by Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, followed off with Julie James, our main lead, Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, Ray Bronson, Freddie Prince Jr., and Barry Cox, Ryan Philippi. Philippi, Philippe, Philippe. I've had people arguing over this for 25 years. I don't fucking care. Let's call him Ryan. Yeah, look- you know what? I don't know what it is. So, yeah, perfect. Ryan. Ryan, Ryan P. P. Ryan P. Uh, they all look on from the balcony. And, like, you got to love this mix of characters. It's the final girl, the poor, handsome rogue, the jock, and an actual beauty queen. This is so 90s. So that intro absolutely reached out of the screen, pulled me in, and got me interested. This yeah. introduction to the characters did the exact opposite. Yeah, I agree. They're, like, it's it's a wicked mix of character types that's just poorly handled. But it also is one of these things that maybe other people don't always consider and obviously doesn't make or break a movie. But in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking... Why are these people friends? Yeah, there is that. Like, I get Julie, uh, Barry, and Helen. I don't get Ray. Freddie Prince Jr.'s Ray does not fit in this group. Julie, eh, arguable if she does or not. Obviously, Barry the jock and Helen the beauty queen. That makes sense. But well, yeah, I see. I see Ray and Julie together as well because Ray is the poor guy living in the rich area. Julie's not that superficial. It would make sense that she would date him also being kind of like the brain. Mm-hmm. She might not be the most popular person. The two groups together, I mean, I could only imagine Julie and Helen grew up as neighbors and they retain their friendship throughout their lives. It's got to be the only reason. But yeah. we also get one of the first lines that Julie mutters about the sexism that might mm-hmm. be her one of her worst delivered lines. And it's like the first thing I hear her say. And right away, I'm just like, oh, no, this is going to be a train wreck. (laughs) Uh, Helen is asked what her contribution to her community and the world at large will be. And she responds, moving to New York and becoming a serious actress through art. She'll serve her country. So that's a stupid answer. It is. But that's also a stupid question for, what did you say it was? The Crowley Cree Queen? uh, Croker. Croker County Queen finalist. Yeah. How am I going to change the world? Dude, this is a nothing beauty pageant. Yeah. How are you going to change the world? You're not getting the fuck out of this county. (laughs) So it doesn't really matter what your answer is, FYI. You were here for life, kid. I'm sorry. You have no hope. None of you. You're all going to work the boats. Yeah. Basically. Well, I, I doubt she is. No. My, my, my next note after that <laughs> just says, what? <laughs> and I, this, I, the scene is very problematic in that it feels so fucking forced. Do you notice what number she is of the five? No. Three. <laughs> no. She is number three. They ask her the question, nobody else, and she wins. I can't even pretend I care. I know, but that means like we have to assume that the other girls were uh, questioned 
and they did their thing or that they just picked her out and the four other girls are like, what the fuck is this? Well, there was probably previous competitions and it's just a random order of who goes first and last throughout yeah. all of them. And this was just the competition where she was the last one. Who cares, man? She's oh, standing on the stage in a swimsuit. That's what's important. Okay, 1997, Sandro. Well, you know that's why this scene is in the movie. (laughs) Yes, I know. But at the same time, I'm not going to not ask that question. All right, man. So we move to a party on the beach, and here's where we meet uh, Elsa, um, Helen's sister, played by Bridget Wilson, who we mentioned before. We also get Johnny Galecki as Max, who I completely forgot was in this movie. And he is doing his best to put the moves on Julie. Oh man, and his best is not very good. I don't know like I don't know what we're supposed to feel about Max in this introduction. Max is an entirely problematic character throughout the duration of the movie. I agree completely, because I feel like he's supposed to be the sympathetic loser character, but he's oddly forceful and he's an asshole. Yeah, they give him too much of like a, a mean streak, I guess we'll call it, for yeah. picking the fights and being forceful with asking her out. To be the sympathetic victim. Yeah. And like the only thing I can imagine is that they wanted to red herring him as the killer because oh, he gets treated poorly by them and he had an idea of what they did, so maybe he's the one who's using it as a reason to get back at them. Yeah, like, and then and they do this make, with people throughout the movie. But then don't make him the sympathetic character either. It's like This is one of those prime examples, and I've talked about this in previous reviews before, where they can't decide on this character, and they're on the fence. Do we make him, like, this jerk that's out of the group, or do we make him the sympathetic character? You can't toe that line. You have to pick one. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's shit like this that made me actually order the book, because I want to see if this character was in the book and maybe... Kevin Williamson just decided to um, alter him enough to have him in the story a bit more because he is, if he's just a pain in the ass side character, fine, but set him up as such. Yeah. Even if he was, even if he was like the weak, nerdy, shy guy that was supposed to be completely sympathetic, I would still buy him as a red herring for the villain because eventually you snap and you fight back. Exactly. I just don't get what they were doing with this character. And it's like, you already dropped the ball with it. And, This is right after we met Elsa, who right away I'm like, why does she hate Helen? She is an incredibly unlikable character. But like, give us a reason. Yeah. Give her like a big scar or something and say she was once going to be a beauty queen and now she can't and now she harbors jealousy for Helen. Just something. Otherwise, it's just like. Yeah, this is a sister that I that hates me, so maybe she's a red herring too because she hates me, and that's enough to murder people. And with Max, like when Barry interrupts him and Julie and embarrasses him, he just fights back, and the fight actually has to be broken up. Like he's he could potentially hold his own against Jock Barry, which is just so strange. Yeah, like have him get knocked down. Have you know, Barry draw like pour a drink on him and he leaves there like feeling embarrassed. Make him sympathetic. What is this? Yeah. You know, another thing I like to do when I'm watching these movies and I say like to very loosely because it's not something I like to do. It just happens is I like to assess all of the situations where the movie could have been avoided. Number one, Helen takes Elsa up on the ride home. 
<laughs> yeah. Done. This movie doesn't exist. But anyway, I digress. Keep going. Uh, the drunken foursome, I guess only two of them are really drunk, go to another beach. Uh, should I say it is called Dawson's Beach? And tell campfire stories. Uh, we get the story of the hook, the classic urban legend. But they all have different versions of the tale. And I do love that because most urban legends, whoever tells them, inadvertently will end up putting their own twist on the story somehow. Yeah, purple monkey dishwasher. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also like this because I took it as Williamson being like, this isn't really my story, but this is a version of someone else's. What I really like about this is that they drive to the beach where Barry is clearly already intoxicated and the soundtrack is playing DUI by the offspring. Yeah, it's great. It is like the filmmakers are self-aware. Like they know what they're doing here. They're showing us and letting us hear the story they want to tell. It's, I mean, they're not dumb, but it doesn't, it doesn't continue as such. It gets pretty bad. Uh, I have here drunken beach antics. Um, Helen planning her and Barry's future. And then Julie and Ray have beach sex with no blanket. I just have, have fun with that aftermath. Yeah. That's a terrible idea. You're getting sand in places that sand does not belong everywhere. Uh, they pile in Barry's car and head out. Uh, Barry and Helen are relegated to passengers because they're too drunk to drive. And while driving, Barry stands up through the sunroof and is slamming a bottle of booze but drops it onto Ray. Fine. Ray is sober, yet is still driving like a maniac, which I don't understand. I'm watching this, and it makes it out, like, at least the way they cut it and show it, that he's speeding. Like, he's tearing down the road. Oh, and yeah. It's like, why? Even if you're sober, it, like, you'd think you'd be driving normal. Those are crazy turns. And you could say, oh, well, maybe it's a highway. When they see Max later in his truck, he's not speeding. No, <laughs> and not at all. I, actually, I don't even think Max is doing the speed on it. Well, um, yeah, well, he's, he's stopping to see what's going on. But. Yeah. Uh, during the confusion, they uh, drive into a person in the middle of the road who's just, just there in the middle of the road. At this point, there's no reason for him to be there. I mean, eventually it is kind of revealed why the person was there, but the car spins out of control and... For the love of God, I hoped Barry had died at this point. I remember that <laughs> thought when I watched it in 97. I'm like, please just let Ryan P. be dead. But no, his face is covered in blood. Uh, but it's the blood of the person they hit. And he's just furious about the damage to his car. And that sums up this character perfectly. He does not Boy. give a shit about anybody else. Just himself and his belongings. He is an asshole. Yeah. They, uh, they find the body. And obviously panic. Okay, but before we get into this, was this parodied in Scary Movie? Yes. And like in the, in, I know you did last summer, Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, Julie James finds a bloody boot, holds it up, and is like, obviously, you know, we hit somebody. In Scary Movie, is like, oh my God, we hit a boot. Is that the joke? I want to say yes. Because I think that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. The, the only part of that parody that I really remember is that it's Shorty that shows up instead of Max. Yes. And he just makes a bunch of stoner jokes. 
Um, but yeah, they, they find the body and obviously panic. But I never understood the state of the body that they find. Only his face is messed up? Was he bending over and like hit by the car face first? Because it looks like they got body. Yeah, it looks like they full-on hit a man who was st- just standing in the road. But there's no blood anywhere else on him except his face. And I get it, yeah, it's so we don't know exactly who that person is. We can't really identify them. But come on, guys. No, you could put Do blood in more places. It's yeah. not like, make him a completely bloody mess. Who cares? I love that Julie's reaction is, you know, we should call the police and explain. Ray wasn't drinking or speeding. I'm like, yeah, well, he's covered in liquor and he was indeed speeding. And the tire marks all over the road will show that at the very least. Yeah. And then everyone just turns on each other. Yeah, the car is not in as much damage as it should be hitting a person at that high speed. Yeah. I don't know if... I don't I don't know if they realistically realistically come to what is eventually their plan and that is just to dump the body in the ocean. Yes. They they discuss how the current is strong and well I guess the first thing is Julie who I guess is the genius with the high IQ says that you know if some of him is on your car then some of your car is on him and they'll identify it. So, uh, 97 I don't know. Yeah, that's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I I do like when they're trying to move the body. (laughs) Max shows up in his truck, and (laughs) their immediate reaction is just yeet the body over the guardrail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have to hide it, right? I know. It's just such a funny visual. And they cover it up by saying, you know, that was it, uh, Barry is sick, and he's pretending to throw up over over the edge. Yeah, and I'm I'm assuming, especially because it's Max, they would believe he's drunk because he was yeah. already drunk before they left the party. Yeah. Right? So, okay, yeah, he's vomiting on the side of the road. But here's another one of those examples. Like, Ray joins Julie when they're trying to throw Max off. And yeah. he's just like, well, what can we do for you, Max? And he's like, you can wipe that my shit don't stink grin off your face. It's like, all right, so Max is being a dick again. Yeah, all and right. I, I do find him interesting as such, though. Because now... An outcast becomes a threat. Somebody that no one ever wanted to deal with, they're potentially now going to have to deal with him. And I love that his line for Ray of, you almost got that rich boy act down, Ray. Why does he hate Ray? I think Barry's just, the one who was an asshole to him, and Ray just broke up the fight. It's not I like he he's broke jealous. up. I think he's actually just very jealous. because Right, because he clearly he, wants Julie. He and yeah, he wants Julie. Julie and and Ray have something going on, but Ray's just like him in that he's lower middle class, uh, but has somehow so. made it in with the popular rich kids. Okay, why I, really I have th- no idea. They don't ever explain that. I guess I never really thought of it that way. If if Ray was one of these other rich spoiled kids, maybe you know, Max would brush it off as that's why she's with him. Yeah. But when he sees that it's just a regular guy, it probably highlights the idea of like, then why not me? Right. I, I think that's 100% it. But if it's why not you is because you're a dick. All right, Max, this is the problem. Yeah. I, th- that should have been explored. I really do think that should have been tackled. That, that would have been a nice addition to this film. 
But we don't get that. We just get them going to the wharf uh, to throw the body into the ocean. And honestly, it's not going to work. You're way too close to shore. Steal a fucking boat or something. Well, but that's what Ray was talking about, was that yeah. the current was going to drag it out uh, in out into the ocean because of just, I don't know, the time of the year and the time of the day or something. There was, was some, high tide too. There was, there was some poorly attempted explanation as to why the body would get dragged out to the ocean. Fine. Yes. Um, okay. And that's a, that is another issue because okay. keep it. This is Kevin Williamson. Look at how tight of a movie Scream was. This is a glaring error, something that should be addressed or completely not mentioned whatsoever. So nobody can point out that it's problematic. This it it looks like a movie written by the guy that wrote Scream, but it feels too amateurish in comparison. Yeah, and why throw the body in the in the water? Like that's just taking a risk. Just, mm-hmm. just douse it in alcohol and set it on fire. Yeah, they might be able to identify the body, but they're not going to identify the bits of car that are on the clothes at that point. <laughs> These guys need to learn how to cover it up, man. <coughs> What do you think, Jim? Does this look like a bit of a burnt BMW fender? No. No, it's burnt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. At, uh, this the... po- at this point, having Max be revealed as the killer would have actually been a better situation. And, like, we, <laughs> e- we even find out later that, like, the whole reason that he was doing it was because he wanted Julie, and he was never actually intending to kill her. She was yeah. going to end up being the final girl because he wasn't even going to try and kill her. He was just going to try and kill everybody that got in the way of him being with her. Mm-hmm. But instead Perfect. we get this. That would be a, a standard 80s slasher film. And I I honestly would like that more. The entire next scene doesn't really work for me. Anyway. Nope, nope. Uh, the body comes to life and grabs Helen's tiara and they just dump him into the ocean. Yeah. He's alive. Why are you jumping into the ocean now? Exactly. It just doesn't work. Like, Barry jumps in, grabs the tiara, and swims away while the body is stationary, yet watching the whole time? I'm guessing that this fisherman, because he's wearing, what, the slicks or whatever? Whatever they call them? Is, I don't swim. think he is at this point. No? I think, I, I feel like it's like, Denim jacket and jeans. No, 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 no. He was wearing one of them. Was he? Maybe he wasn't. Okay, maybe I just got it in my mind from later in the movie, but it's like, yeah. we're supposed to believe this guy, who ultimately is revealed to be a fisherman, spoiler alert, can't swim? <laughs> Not At only all? can't swim, but doesn't float. He sinks vertically. He's upright, head facing towards the surface, and he just rests there on the ocean floor okay that doesn't happen how good of a look do you think he got on that at them oh trust me i i i question how he knows who these people are because that i had a big issue with throughout the entire movie how does he know who to target at all yeah unless that split second that he opened his eyes which were covered in blood Grab the tiara. He managed to identify four people. Yep. Uh-huh. No way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No way. Um, but after Barry gets out of the water, 
they all make a pact never to talk about it again. But the person's alive. How does this not seem to be an issue for any of them? I don't know. <laughs> like, at this situation, it's like, it's not manslaughter anymore. No. Even if he identifies you, it's not going to be so bad. But no. But then again, we wouldn't have a movie. So here we go. And as they leave the scene, the camera zooms in on the charm thingy that we last saw with the man who was sitting on the cliff at the beginning. One year later in college, Julie is apprehensive about going home for the summer. And upon returning, her mother asks if she's on drugs and says she looks like death. And I love, I love when movies do this. Let's take this incredibly attractive woman. Let's put her in all of this tight, skimpy, whatever. I guess not skimpy, but tight clothes. Mm -hmm. Just put less makeup on her and have someone ask why she looks like shit. She still looks fantastic. <laughs> she looks amazing throughout the entire movie. Why don't you just say, like, why do you look so depressed? Cool. Yeah. Like, all right, whatever. Sure. Okay, movie. You got me. And she is the only one of the four leads that realistically dwells on their previous actions. That we know of. That we know of. And, I mean, she should look depressed. Because it's very much implied that Ray dwelled on it. Um, to the point that he went to go and investigate. He clearly just did it in his own way. Yeah. I don't um, think... I don't. I don't think Barry gave a shit <laughs> in the slightest. No, Barry doesn't give a fuck. He's too concerned about his car. I didn't lose a night of sleep. He was fine. <laughs> in fact, he did it again the next night. Um, I love that we get a very brief scene where Julie looks around the house and is basically transported back to a time before the incident. Um, great juxtaposition of her uh, headspace versus how things were before. Um, but do you think her mother is a horrible parent? Um, what are you getting at? Well, she confronts Julie about her performance at school and follows it up with, your father must be turning over in his grave and then walks away. Yeah, that was a bit of a jump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, not every student who's a good student in high school goes to, like, university and just knocks it out of the park, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, your father must be spinning in his grave um well that escalated quickly <laughs> yeah right but anyway she gives julie some mail that arrived a note that when opened reads i know what you did last summer uh two things great penmanship also i can't help but notice that the envelope has no postage no or a return address the yeah, the, the mail would not deliver it exactly and that is i have in quotes here addressed and great job at making the danger seem immediate because that means that whoever sent the note or wanted her to read the note put it in the mailbox themselves. And obviously well, Julie's freaked out here. Because, of course, they identified these people so easily and found their homes. And also knew when they were coming home from university. Yes. But the immediate problem here that is never addressed is that Nobody suspects a crime has been committed. There's no suspicious death. Go to the police. You could just go to the police and claim harassment. <laughs> you could just go to the police. <laughs> this came to my house? I feel threatened. I oh, by the way, uh, 
second way this movie could have not happened is when she was at college and her friends like get ready to go home and she said i don't know if i'm gonna go don't yeah yeah it's just this do you see the problem i have here admitting that this is a kevin williamson script because you like him too much to admit it yeah okay that's fine i'm I'm good with it i'm good with it let's keep going man like obviously it's an older script of his but fucking fix it man these are glaring problems that two non-script writers are finding easily Okay, we're at the scene where she gets the letter. It's very early in the movie, man. We got a long way to go. No, we don't, because there's not a whole lot to talk about. (sighs) Julie goes to Elsa's store to talk to Helen. And what is the store? Well, she doesn't go to the store to talk to Helen. She goes to the store to get Helen's New York number. Oh, that's fine. Which is when when Elsa reveals she's at Ladies' Wear, because... Clearly indicating that they did not keep in touch because Julie does not know this. Okay. I'm just saying there's a plot reason why she went to go get the number because they want to let us know that they lost touch after the accident. Completely unimportant, though, because that's already established because they never communicate after they leave. We don't know that. (laughs) They just say one year later. They could have been talking on the phone and sending emails still been friends yeah, no but it's completely summed up in a scene later where they talk about how they lost touch oh man come on <laughs> hey you're stretching this out not me motherfucker i'm just trying helen, to, well, to helen works there now uh not exactly a new york actress uh, again though why is elsa so mean it's never yeah, really i don't know established. i don't know like at this point even if it is because she's envious of her sister her sister's now at home not doing anything with her life. Like, get get over it. Yeah. And to answer your earlier question, I feel like this is like a secondhand or vintage store. Something like that. It looks like shit, though. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a bad-looking store. I wouldn't shop there. Uh, Julie shows the note to Helen, and Helen doesn't believe anybody could know what they did because they were so careful. Were really? you? Were really? you? You ran over a man in the road, left tire marks everywhere, barely hid the body from Max, stuffed it in a trunk, in plain sight, carried it from the car to the wharf. There was a scuffle with shouting, and they kicked it into the water. Loudly shouted at each other afterwards, and then sped off. What about that is careful? I don't know, man. I still don't even see how they were identified. Because even though it doesn't make any sense. Not at at least. Okay, once it's revealed who this is, I can see, I, I question how they could know who it was. If it turned out to later be Max or Elsa, I can understand how they would identify them. Yeah. Max saw them on the highway. Elsa saw the car in its state or something, right? Yeah, but a but complete stranger. Who was unconscious and yeah. only opened their eyes for a second. and then To see both- one of them underwater. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know what it was. He grabbed the crown and through feel and touch alone identified what it was and then went and looked up who won that contest. (laughs) This this guy's got mad detective skills. They uh, take the note to Barry uh, one year later and he's still a complete asshole. Nice house, though. Hmm? Very nice house. Well, it's mommy and daddy's house. Exactly. Uh, Julie tells them that the body of David Egan was found three weeks after the accident 
uh, caught in a shrimp net. Uh, Julie and Ray have already split up and Ray works up north. And they say up north like it's like Canada. <laughs> but it's really like the north end of town. Yeah. Uh, Barry deduces that Max is the only person who could have known what happened. So it's time to intimidate Max with an ice hook. That is work. <sighs> uh, going a little overboard there, Barry. Well, it's Barry. He, I don't think he's meant to be intelligent in no. any way. Completely irrational 100% of the time. But here's another situation where I'm like, why is Max such a dick? Because before I, they go talk, yeah. he's being rude to him. I can understand him being a dick when Barry attacks him again, randomly after a year of not seeing him. Although mm -hmm. how they didn't see each other living in the same town is beyond me. But I guess Barry was at it. You know, it never, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's a big town. It's a big, small town. Now, I think they do imply that Barry went out of town because I think there was a conversation where Helen says to Julie, yeah, I saw his car at the gym. Uh, he, he's back in town or something like that. Yeah. Isn't he at college playing football or something? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But they uh, they run into Ray, who's now a fisherman, and Julie tells him about the note. And Max is murdered with the ice hook. I, I have to say, though, it is a great kill scene. It is. Gets him right under the chin with it and hooks right. him forward. Here's my next question. Outside of identifying who the culprits were, why is Max a victim? I was just about to say that. That's my next note. Why kill Max? I, it's just to throw off the audience. That's the only explanation I can come up with. It's kind and of a that's really one. cheap. Especially if Max is, at least in my opinion, the prime red herring for the culprit. Uh, beyond the guy who got hit, it would have served better to have him alive longer in the movie to actually like cement the red herring status. I agree completely. Honestly, I'd be okay if Max made it to the very end of the movie and has some sort of like redemption arc because that character is in there somewhere, but we never get a chance to see him. And then he's murdered and we don't care because he's a fucking asshole. Honestly, put, like, make Ray the first victim and put Max in Ray's savior role at the end. That's great. I love it. That would have made this so much better. He is. And it's like, no matter how much they treat him like shit, he still saved Julie in the end. But Julie was the one that he probably would have wanted to save. Yeah. Even if, like, there's no happy ending there between, like, like Max and Julie hooking up or something. Just him, not through like natural progression, but ending up being like accepted would have been great. Um, an unseen assailant terrorizes Barry at his gym. Uh, he finds a Polaroid in his locker, a photo of his car with the note, uh, I know, written on it. Ends up being run over with his own car. And we. Because he runs right after it. Yeah. Thinking, like, what? You're going to catch the car? It's like a dog chasing a car. What are you going to do if you catch up to it? That car is going very fast for being in reverse, though. Yeah, and Barry's, or, yeah, Barry is running pretty damn fast. I get he plays football, but I don't yeah. think so. Uh, we get our first view of the killer, uh, full-on rain slicker and rubber boots. Uh, probably one of the least intimidating get-ups for a slasher. I just, I don't see that being efficient whatsoever. But why not kill Barry? You just killed Max. That is you a have the great opportunity question. to kill Barry. Why don't you do it? That's a great question. 
Because I think at one point Barry theorizes, because he says he could have killed me, that, oh, well, he's sending us a message. It's like, you know what else would have sent a message? Killing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the... Well, think probably the, the most direct message you could send. I think the rest of them would have gotten the message. Because, like, he straight up murders Helen later. Like, why not do that to Barry? It doesn't make sense. Straight up murders Barry later. Yeah. I, he's just saving it, I guess. Well, the I gotta savor this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> the four decide that this person must be a friend or family member of David Egan, so they do some research finding out that David was the survivor of a car crash that killed his fiancée, Susie Willis. And Julie recalls seeing Susie's name tattooed on David's arm before they dumped him in the ocean. I liked it. It was subtle. It was. Quite good. And I noticed they focused on the forearm at the beginning of the movie and never referenced it. So when it came up here, I'm like, okay, that's good writing. Yeah, I liked it. They go talk to David's sister, Missy, played by Anne Heche, R.I.P. recently. Always found this scene to be lacking, though. And I always thought it was Anne Hesh. Hesh, uh, Hesh, whatever. <laughs> Anne H. <laughs> Anne Philippi, Philippe, Felipe. Can we properly pronounce an actor's name? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I state though, like this scene doesn't fit the movie in tone. There's dishonest entrance. Uh, to the house, snooping around, lying about who they are. Um, they find a slicker hanging up on a hook, uh, again, just to set up a red herring, because I don't think anybody watching this movie would believe that Missy is the killer. I didn't for a second. No, but you know that's what they're going for. It's undeniable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but The Missy only red herring that actually sat well with me was Max. And then yeah. they killed him off super early. But... Elsa, Missy, no. No. Missy does say that uh, a friend of David's showed up to pay his respects after the death, uh, a guy named Billy Blue. Um, next is an oddly forced yet enjoyable scene that I was telling you about earlier uh, between Julie and Helen uh, in the car addressing how they used to be friends and are so distant now. I say it's probably the only realistic character development this movie has so far. Um, not that there was an opportunity earlier, but they just never went anywhere with it. And this is why I was saying they didn't need that, that scene with uh, Elsa talking about how Helen never made it to New York. Cause that's, no, well, that then how just would put they in have, here. how would they have met up at the beginning of the movie? Then Julie just goes to Helen's house and they're like, all right, let's do this. No, it's just, okay, fine. Whatever. We see Helen's home life and meet her ignorant alcoholic father. Uh, how do we feel about Helen, though, as a character? I don't know. She's a typical pageant queen slasher victim. Yeah, I, I don't know. Seeing a character never live up to their aspirations gets me every time. And she doesn't really have much development other than that one scene. So this is more of like a gimmicky way of getting sympathy. But it does work. And I don't feel that really for any of the other characters. Like I can see it. I can yeah. see it. Like the the I'm gonna I'm gonna say prom queen because that's more fitting for this genre of movie. Agreed. Uh, like the prom queen character, all great, all good on the surface, but then what people don't see is that her home life is shit. Her dad is an abusive alcoholic. 
Her sister hates her for no reason at all. Yeah. Like, it's all just a front. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it's just a weird thing to include because we don't really, well, I guess we do kind of get a back, uh, like a backstory for Ray, but not Barry. But fuck Barry. No one likes Barry anyway. Another thing, though, the killer just walks into her house. Yeah, her dad's a drunk and her sister is opposed to locking doors. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it just walks in and hides in the closet and then just stays there for the night or until whenever he sneaks out. What the hell? Yeah, it's weird. Originally, I thought like when you see Helen pick up the tiara and look at it. I was like, oh, man, the killer actually returned it to her. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, Barry actually did get it back from him at the very beginning. So why is the killer just watching her from a closet? And why doesn't he just kill her? Like Exactly. At this point, he could be done with Barry and Helen. You're half done at that point. Well, not half, because apparently he's just randomly adding victims like Max. But yes. Yeah. Uh, Elsa demands Helen to be at the uh, store in the morning, but she has to be in the parade as is tradition. What a, um, what a bitch yeah. move. Yeah. This is like the only thing your sister has going for her. And it's not like it's a secret that the previous pageant winner has to be there. And you're like, you yeah, know, I'm going to plan inventory. It's like you yeah. own the store now that you clearly <laughs> indicate you you took over from your dad. Let her have the morning off. <laughs> well, Helen wakes up in the morning to find that her hair has been cut while she was sleeping, and the message soon has been written on her vanity mirror. How about now? Yeah. <laughs> then, previously, when she was asleep in her room and you were just hanging out in the closet, you pervert. Yeah, I just... What is the point of toying with them? I don't if know. the end result is wanting them dead, kill just them. fucking kill them. Just kill them. And then the next is the most fucking ridiculous thing in this entire goddamn movie. I just have the crab trunk scene. Okay. All right. This. Yeah, perfect. I, I, my next note says, care to explain, Sandro? Okay. I can fully accept that the killer put Max's body and ice and crabs in the trunk. Because apparently he's stealthy as all hell. What I don't get is after she sees it and she closes the trunk and then goes and gets Barry and Helen and tells them what happened and they bring them back to the car, which you have to imagine happens relatively quickly. Matter of minutes. That the trunk is completely empty like it was never there before. Not, not only even like empty, not, it's completely dry. Completely dry, completely clean, just a couple of very well-centered uh, car tools, like a jack or whatever, mm-hmm. which would have moved around as the car was moving, but whatever. But, like, perfectly clean in broad daylight, nonetheless. Yeah. You you don't know how long the body was in the trunk with the ice and the crabs. They could have done it overnight, and then she drove the car. But it is broad daylight. No other cars were passing as this guy in a slicker emptied a body and crabs out of it like no no this scene amongst most of the others is the most bullshit scene in the movie i agree completely but it does give us one of the most memorable scenes immediately afterward the (laughs) jennifer love hewitt spinning around with her arms open screaming at the sky what are you waiting for this is terrible this is absolutely (laughs) terrible 
I love it. It is uh, so bad. It is uh, absolutely yes. atrocious. The it scary movie terrible. version is so much better where the person follows up by getting hit b- with a car. Yeah. Uh, and this this is the exact point where I'm just like, all right, fucking Kevin Williamson, you failed horribly. Horribly. It is a I'm good still thing along you put for out Scream first. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still along for the ride here, but I'm not really invested anymore. Barry accuses Ray of doing all of this. Why? <laughs> Why? No Max, idea. Max, I get. But Ray, there is no reason to make that leap. Also, why does Barry have dog tags? It's just a style thing, I, I guess. guess. He definitely never served in the military. But the other thing I find funny is Ray says he got a letter, and that sets Barry off because, oh, you know, he got a t- his jacket was stolen. He got attacked. Helen got her hair cut. And you got a letter? And it's like, yeah, this guy's clearly not doing yeah. things at the same pace for everybody. <laughs> also, if you notice, Julie got a letter first. And you and, got a note first. <laughs> and it was before. days prior. Well, I guess Barry's was right before. But Julie's note was days before anything happened to her. Yeah. Barry's just an idiot. Uh, they decide to take a 1992 yearbook to Missy to see if she can point out Billy Blue in case he was lying about his name when he went to pay his respects. <laughs> Ray is so conspicuous here that I'm surprised nobody questions it further. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I didn't notice. <laughs> Not once at any point that I've seen this movie did I pick up on that until this time. Like, they say, oh, yeah, she was visited by this Billy Blue. Maybe that wasn't his real name. And the whole while, Barry, uh, not Barry, um, Ray. Ray is in the background like, oh, no. <laughs> and then <laughs> oh, he's just fuck. like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then he's just like, well, maybe we should just go to the police or run away. And it's like, wow, that changed very quickly based on the subject of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It was good, though. I got a very good laugh out of that this time. Um, next is the parade, which is just a really shitty parade. Whatever. It's small town nowhere doing yeah. a parade for their, you know, crawling queen crab cake winner <laughs> or something. The crawling queen <laughs> crab cake winner is yeah, Helen Shivers. But she thinks uh, she sees a killer in the crowd and Barry sets off after him. And just tackles, tackles the shit out of an old man. the fuck out of this guy. And it's just an old dude who looks like he's having a stroke immediately afterwards. The poor bastard. Well, I mean, it, their only clue is it's a guy wearing a slicker in a fishing town. So, Should, you know. Can you imagine how great it would have been if it was just like a younger dude that Barry tackled and he just kicks the shit out of Barry? He leaves him laying on, like, the side of the wharf, and then the hook comes up and just drags him under the water. Well, much like our killer, a lot of these fishermen, I mean, they do hard labor. They're not weaklings. They're going to just beat the shit out of them. That's why he's an old man, though. Well, yeah. That's the only reason why Barry didn't get his ass handed to him. Um, The scene of Julie going to visit Missy is quite a massive info dump. It's think, very dense. Yeah. And it, the rest of the movie is kind of difficult to talk about in like specific scenes because they just cut 
back and forth to different scenes as they're ongoing. So like we see characters interacting with each other at various times, but they're all their own scene. So I kind of have things grouped together. Um, when Julie goes to visit Missy, we find out that David killed himself. Uh, Missy has a note reading, I will never forget last summer in the same penmanship as Julie's note. Um, we also find out that David never had the name Susie tattooed on his arm. Then the revelation that it wasn't actually David that they hit with the car at the beginning. Okay. More to follow. See, cut- I didn't put this together. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not a genius by any means. Like uh, they implied Julie is with her intimidating IQ. Uh-huh. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, there was a similar letter. It could have been a suicide note that he wrote, and that could be his penmanship. And they just hit him before he could kill himself. I don't see where she gets this logic where she's like, it's not him. Oh, it's the same penmanship? Yeah, yeah. No. If he wrote a suicide note, it, he would be using the same handwriting to the, like, I get that it's not, right? But I don't get how Julie comes to this conclusion. Uh, well, she doesn't. I did. She doesn't huh. say it's the same penmanship or anything. Well, she does but say she, like, she knows him, it right? wasn't him because of the the tattoo. Because David didn't have a tattoo on his arm, and the person they dumped in the ocean had the name Susie tattooed on their arm. Okay. Yeah, so right. she knows that it wasn't David that they, quote, killed. Okay, so I'm an idiot. <laughs> We're at the uh, is what you're beauty saying pageant. is I'm an idiot. I mean... I wouldn't use those terms. (laughs) Helen's introduced to the stage and while there sees Barry being murdered. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Here. (sighs) Okay. So you are being targeted by a murderer. Uh, You're going with Helen to keep an eye on her and keep an eye out for him. What part of that makes you think, let's go by ourselves to this balcony. Uh, none of them know that it's a murderer. To the best of their knowledge, nobody so is dead. What happened to Max that Julie saw him getting into the car or in the trunk? Helen and Barry didn't see it. Remember? Gosh, Julie told them. Yeah. But she also said he was dead in the trunk covered in crabs and ice. And the, there were no crabs, ice, or body in there, and everything was dry. I don't know. It's still enough to to be on alert and think. You should Let's be. Let's not yeah. split up or be alone. Anyway, I have no problem with the scene because Barry gets fucked up, and I'm okay with that. I'm just saying. Oh, I know. It doesn't, it's completely illogical. Also, when Helen sees the killer there and he attacks Barry, she screams and is running towards it, and everybody's initial reaction is to hold her in place. Yeah, this is terrible. Absolutely terrible. Like, not one person was like, hey, let's go look at what she's screaming at. Or yeah, what, did she, what did she see? It's like, uh-oh, Helen went crazy again. Yeah. <laughs> Hold it's her another down. one of those scenes that they parodied in Scary Movie where before she screams, she essentially says that she's going to do a dramatic reenactment. Yeah. So it makes sense because everybody's like applauding her like, oh, man, this is really believable. Yeah. Um, the Helen and the police officer head up to find nobody or obvious Why is blood. this police officer such an asshole? He's a complete asshole. I have no idea why. Also, how was there no 
blood other than that one spot on the railing. This this killer is amazing at cleaning up after himself. And Barry, I've decided, sucks at fighting. Because this killer doesn't, like, stab him from behind. He turns him around and knocks him down before he stabs him. And Barry <laughs> couldn't get one lick in. And, like, oh. there's a scene at, with him at the gym, like, doing, like, kickboxing moves, like a flying spin <laughs> kick. And he didn't get one lick in. Bullshit. He just sucks at fighting. Well, the bag doesn't hit back. Well, I guess so. Uh, the cop driving Helen home in the squad car. I don't know if you remember or not, man, but I found this scene to be way too similar to the cop car scene in Scream 2. Um, no, nah, it's bleeding together. Okay. I, I just found it very awkward, especially knowing that Scream 2 came out a year after this. It was also written by Kevin Williamson. It also had Sarah Michelle Geller, and no one was like, "Hey, Kev, um, I think <laughs> I think we did this already." Ah, we're good. Yeah, uh, I would be a bit more apprehensive than the cop here because he's driving down the alley, and then there's a car partially blocking the way uh, with the hood up and the person working on the engine. First of all, nobody is fixing their engine wearing a full slicker when it's not raining. Of course, the cops killed, and we get a cat and mouse chase scene with the killer and Helen in the family store. Um, thank God Elsa's there and doesn't survive. See, the cop, I can at least accept why he's killed. Unlike Max, he's directly between him and one of his victims. Mm -hmm. Just, I don't know. I don't get it. I remember the mannequin scene being cool. In the this 90s. Is another, okay, so, but it's such a trope now that uh, it's just out of place. Okay. All right. So Elsa goes to lock the door, which apparently she sucks at doing. Doesn't matter. The killer has somehow already bamfed into the building. I guess come in from another door that they told her to lock or that door and then hid. Fine. Kills Elsa. Drags her into the bathroom and then thinks, I'm going to go into this room grab one of the plastic sheets and put it over top of me and hide. Mm -hmm. Why? Just go and kill her. You're not subtle. You haven't been subtle yet. What are you doing? And it's obvious that all of the others are mannequins and you are much larger and wearing a slicker. You're not exactly blending. Well, even when he first jumps at uh, um, Helen... She, like, kind of, like, knocks him back because he's wrapped in a plastic tarp. Yeah. It's so stupid. Although, it's just so stupid. Somehow this killer is less of a bumbling idiot than we saw in Scream, where they just got the shit kicked out of them. Here he'll take a bump here and there, but for the most part, he's, you know, pretty successful. What do you think of Helen's death, though? He shouldn't be successful. Sorry, I just wanted to finish that point. No, he shouldn't be, but he is. What he's doing is not good. I guess it's just meant to imply that his victims are just that well, much stupider. completely unrealistic. <sighs> but like I asked, Helen's death, how do you feel about that? Okay, so Helen wants to escape. She jumps out of a window, crashes onto some, you know, like pallets or scaffolding, or is it yep, a car? Goes I through remember. the uh, pallets. And then goes down a, an alley that, for some reason, has rows of tires stacked on the sides. 
Like, just like a shit ton of tires? I've seen it before, but it's normally in poor areas. And then as the parade is like four feet away from them, the killer drags her between some of the tires and just starts murdering her. Yeah. And I guess nobody noticed because it's loud and there's a parade, even though they're right there. Uh, I found that to be believable because it wasn't just a parade. It was the fucking drum section of the marching band and fireworks going off. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, it's stupid. You think it's stupid. I understand. Well, you're okay with it? What did you think I, of the I Helen just Kill? Fine, said, let me ask you. Turn it around on you. Okay. What did you think of her death? I thought it was great. All right, then. Yeah. Motherfucker. Julie discovers that they hit Susie's father, Ben Willis, not that David Egan. <laughs> uh, I love this reveal. David's suicide note was not actually a suicide note. Um, it was a threat from Ben, who then killed David and was hit by the 14s in Barry's car at the beginning. I thought that was brilliant. It was all right. What are you talking about? It's probably the best story element of the film. Maybe so many... I was just already beaten down at this point. That's, I understand. Uh, she runs to, uh, sorry, Julie runs to Ray's boat to tell him the news, then sees that his boat is named Billy Blue. Oh, come on. And this is where I immediately had to pause the movie and go back to the scene where they talk about taking the yearbook because I'm like, did Ray react? And yeah, like I said, I completely missed it for 25 years. The shocked expression that's so very visible on his face in the entire scene. And then my next note just says, well done, Mason. Uh, Ju Julie freaks out upon realizing Ray was the one who went to see Missy and bolts. But why does she bolt? I don't know. Because she knows she went to she went she knows to find he's not Ray. the killer. Yes. So it's like, okay, he didn't tell us about going to see Missy, but he's not a murderer. Why am I gonna run away from him like he is? Yeah. Well he chases her, but she's saved by a fisherman who knocks out Ray and gets her to run to his boat. And of course this is Ben Willis. <sighs> She what is incredibly she's incredibly trusting of this stranger considering the situation she's in. Yeah. It's Unless, really Unless of course in that moment she did for some reason with no logic explanation or backup of her previous theory think Ray's the killer. So anyone <laughs> who offers to help me must be safe because Ray's the killer. Yeah. I I can't I can't defend this part of the movie whatsoever. For someone who is introduced to us as your IQ is intimidating to me, she's pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a severe lack of common sense here. But we're now in open water and we get another cat and mouse. Um Ray comes to and steals a boat, sets out and climbs aboard Ben's trawler, and Ben villainously welcomes him aboard. Um, again, how, how does Ben Willis know who these people are? I have no idea. And why does he like to toy with his victims? I don't there are know. so many scenarios where he could have just killed off all of the people that he wants to kill off without putting himself in a situation of possibly losing or getting caught. And he just <laughs> doesn't take it. But also, he like, I I'm holding a grudge because you 
almost killed me after I killed someone. You ruined yep. my fun night of killing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, after I kill a person, which is a common occurrence, I like to go home and kick my feet up and have a celebratory beer. You deprived me of that because I was in the ocean. <laughs> it's so stupid. You ever try to drink a beer underwater? Yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, the reveal of Barry, Helen's, and I believe Elsa's bodies in this uh, boat ice room just seemed odd. Why? Why is he keeping these? I don't know. So that if somebody searches his boat, there can be blatant evidence of his crimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. At least the kids at the beginning were stupid. Well, we thought they were stupid for throwing the body into the ocean. That's looking pretty damn good right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was watching this movie with commentary earlier and the director was saying at this point here, it's like, we needed to find a way to get Jennifer out of that shortcut sweater and into less clothing. I'm like, really? You had to? Like, so <laughs> it was actually Jennifer. L- love is great. She had a great idea of just <clears throat> taking the sweater off and using it for leverage to open the door to the ice room. Why? Yeah. It has a handle. Exactly. Like, okay, fine. Also, that ice apparently was just like cubed silicone gel. Yeah, it, it a lot of it uh, shakes. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the most jiggly ice I've ever seen. Um, oh, the ice is what's jiggly. Okay, I get it. There, there's a lot happening in that scene. Uh, the rigging scene. Ben attacks Julie look at his hand caught in the ropes which then severs the hand and throws him overboard so this is his boat he's clearly a fisherman and he doesn't know where the shit on his boat is that he's gonna get his hand caught nope sorry no no i get you but at least julie and ray reconcile and deny any knowledge of what happened like they should have done from the very beginning One year later, Sandro, back at college, Julie readies for a shower, but gets a note setting us up for a fake jump scare. It's just a pool party. Uh, Upon entering the shower, though, she sees the words, I still know, written on the steamy door as a body jumps through the shower towards her. Cut to black, roll credits. This ending is abysmal. It's the worst. It's this the fucking like worst. jump scare, like sequel baiting bullshit ending is just terrible. It might be one of the worst that I can remember. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's it's quite terrible. Honestly, just end it where they have the note and it's an invite to a party. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. That's it. The jumping through a shower, especially now, like knowing now what we know that there's a sequel Right? Two. And it's pardon? Two sequels. Uh is the second one really a sequel? I don't know. I never bothered watching it. Y- yeah, like I was I was looking it up a little bit today because I'm not watching the third one. But the third one, it like even says right on its description in like Wikipedia, I think it is, like none of the returning characters, none of the cast. It's just I guess using the name. But mm. This is just a terrible, terrible ending. Yeah, it's really fucking weak and very disappointing. And I 
I want to rip on Kevin Williamson, but I do like a lot of his movies and I'm no screenwriter. I'm not saying I could do better, but I mean, this is, this is a bad outing for him. So this is a shower in like a dormitory, right? Yeah, I guess so. How hot is that water? And why is there literally no ventilation? Good question. I never she put that goes much in thought there, into it. She goes in there and it and she was just in there before she got the letter. She was just in there and it was clear as day. And then it's like there was 10 fog machines going off. <laughs> yeah, you don't shower with a fog machine? Because she goes in you and loser. it's like it's completely not visible. And at this point, the movie just has me steaming. Oh, that was weak. That's You're- I know what you did last summer, Kevin Williamson week. That's, that was John Arbach week. <laughs> um, okay. You can tell that we're both somewhat disappointed in this movie. So let's talk money and whether or not everyone else thought it was weak. Okay. Do I guess the budget? I'm going to guess $35 million. Less than half of that, 17 all right. I, I see this is going to be a good guessing day for me. Uh, but do you want to know how much it made, Sandro? Uh, 120 million. 125. Oh, that was close. Yeah. What a fucking success, though. Well, I mean, okay. A lot of money comes in the first weekend of a box office. People haven't really been able to tell their friends that the movie sucks or not one way or the other, whether it's good or bad. If this coming off of, yeah, if this came up before scream, this movie's not successful whatsoever. No, but you're coming off the success of scream. That very much is clear. You're advertising Jennifer love Hewitt's cleavage more than anything else in the movie. Mm -hmm. You're going to get day one ticket sales. I don't know how it was received from like a critic standpoint when it came out. uh, But like it was easy to predict that this would have been a success coming off the tails of screen. Yeah. Um, basically the, from what I remember, uh, people's reactions when it came out is that it was a run of the mill slasher film without any of the good stuff, obviously to them, the good stuff being nudity and blood gore. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, that's exactly what this is. It's a sanitized slasher movie. It's it's, like Scream before it, it's got a relatively low kill count for a, for a slasher, mm-hmm. right? But even then, some of the kills were decent. They're great. Uh, yeah. I can honestly see that the only thing that they were missing was the nudity. In Everything Scream. else was... I mean, okay, uh, aside from complaints about writing, because uh, obviously there's plot holes galore in this, but... Yeah. Oh, well, anyway... Uh, but yeah, while we're talking about reception, uh, IMDb score. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with an even five. Um, I'm just going to guess here. Uh, 5.8. Okay. I I get it. I totally get that. Um, my first guess was going to be a six. (laughs) Uh, tomato meter, the critics at Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think? 42. 43. Oh, and the audience score. Audience, I'm going to say, is a little bit higher. I'd say it's probably on par with IMDb, like 57. 40. Oh, okay. I went in the wrong direction there. 
Yeah, I don't really see how that works. 5.8 and 40. All right. Uh, whatever. It's just for fun. But let's move on through this, man. It's time for the awards. All right. <laughs> so, uh, who did you have for your least favorite character? Ray. Freddie Prince Jr. Okay. And why? Um, I think the character could have been incredibly interesting. But just felt like <laughs> if he was Max. <laughs> well, that's just it. Like it should have had like Max qualities. Like if you combine those two characters, we would have somebody really interesting. But but he's not written well, so don't get a shitty actor to play somebody who can't try and spice things up and make them a bit more believable. Now if maybe it's gonna- because I grew up the poor kid and always wanted to be hanging out with the popular kids. But like this is just a really bad attempt at that. If you're not going to, like, do more with the Max character, play up the Billy Blue thing. Make it that he Ray really did fall in love with Missy, and he's the killer. Yeah, that's right? true. Because now he's in love with her, and he wants to get payback, and these people never really accepted him because he was the poor kid. But it's just a, like, yeah. Uh. I don't know. It's That character could have been amazing. It was a major missed opportunity. So the character itself, while it had potential, was pretty flat. And you're not going to bring any character to life by casting Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, who's your least favorite? I actually had the same thing written down as you, man. Oh, yeah? And I don't think that I don't think that Freddie Prince Jr.'s uh, performance was necessarily that bad. I just think that he had nothing to do. Like, he felt like the most bland generic slasher ensemble character whatever like just member of the main cast that you could have had like other than saying a couple of times that he was the poor kid and now he works on the boats this he had no character development he didn't really do anything like he was just there yeah yeah i agree but but i do think that it's not the actor's fault in this situation. I think that this character from a writing standpoint is fundamentally flawed. And I don't think really anybody could have saved this character just because there's no material to work with to save him. Yeah. Okay. But I believe that he didn't, he didn't play it convincingly. What was there to play? Well, I mean, like he, you look at him in this group and there's no way of knowing that, he was poor. But that's not, that's the writing. That, that's even more so wardrobe. Make him have clothes that's not as nice looking. Something, yeah. right? Like, yes, I know. And I'm saying it's not the acting in this part. It's just, you can't just say that a character is poor and make him look like he's rich. You know, like, it just doesn't exactly. work. Yes. It does not work. Thank you. All right. Favorite character? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this one. All right. But I went with, Brian Cox by Ryan P. Okay. Well, his name's Barry. Oh, shit. Yes. Sorry. I wrote down Brian <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> That's an actor. <laughs> okay. Well, you get what I was saying, though. I had Barry my, Cox. My favorite character <laughs> does not exist in this film. <laughs> yeah. You know those mannequins in the store? Yeah. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, no, interesting. I, I, I had Barry Cox because the character was detestable. Like, this guy was an asshole. But he might have had the most 
to do as an actor in this movie because he had to act like an asshole. He had to act aggressive. He had to act a little vulnerable when he was with Helen. And there was that little bit of nice guy kind of peeking through. They shared a couple moments when he was, you know, coming back to help protect her, even though he was a dick earlier. The, the character is not a likable character. He's not supposed but to be. he has maybe the most depth out of these characters. Yeah. I mean, Ryan P doing a great job. He's out there killing it. I'm, I will. Okay. I'll admit right now. I do have a bit of a Ryan P bias. Me too. Because I love a lot of things he does. I was a huge fan not too long ago of the shooter show that he was in. I thought he was amazing in that too. I do have a bit of a bias. But in general, I do think the Brian, uh, the Barry character, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> Brian, it's yeah. I'm looking at Ryan and, and Barry, and I'm just putting them in Brian. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, Barry had the most depth out of the the main cast for sure. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll agree with you for sure on that. Like he was the most well developed character, and not through forceful storytelling, but through performance. And reaction. I thought it was very, very good. But I'm going to have to go with Julie. I love the character of Julie James. And I think it is because of the, my bias. I love Jennifer Love Hewitt. I always have. It's just 90s nostalgia. I love all of the teen comedies. And seeing her in a role really kind of gives me a sense of comfort with films. And like, I just really enjoy it. She is not the best character. The best character by far is Barry. I'll agree with you, but uh, I uh, I just really enjoy the Julie James character. See, I'm I'm like you. I'm a big Jennifer Love Hewitt fan. I mean, can't hardly wait. Like, cemented her in my young Sandro fandom. Yeah, even movies like the Trojan War, she was awesome. I was debating putting her as worst because she is on like Ray's level of milk toast, boring, plain protagonists. But hey, it's your pick. Yeah, sometimes milk toast is just what you need, man. Not for the lead of a slasher. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, like Nev Campbell was any better. But that's the thing. Nev Campbell, and people won't know this because why? We don't have our Scream episode. I complained about how bland of a protagonist she was in Scream. And then to see this a year later and they didn't learn from it maybe just disappoints me even more. Although we don't know what the character was like in the book. I don't know. I didn't even know there was a book. So, yeah. Well, I told you that at the beginning of the episode. I'm, uh, prior to you telling me that. <laughs> like, All when right. I made my notes and put together my thoughts for the review, I didn't know there was a book. Uh, you totally should have, though. That's on No. You. No, yeah. I don't do research for this. Get out of here. I'm calling him Brian. What do you want? That's <laughs> yeah, a good point. <laughs> All right. Brian. What was your most memorable or favorite line? Uh, it's definitely not my favorite line. I didn't have a favorite line. I went with memorable and it's, it's obviously it's Julie screaming. What are you waiting for? It is the dumbest fucking line ever. The line is not so bad as it's delivered out of frustration. It's the spinning around. It's the spinning camera. I think the delivery is terrible. It's, it finishes off a scene that is completely nonsensical. And it's just a cacophony of confusion and poor decision-making. And that just sticks out in my mind. You? So I actually had a a, a Brian line. 
Uh huh. <laughs> There's a very, I don't know. I, I would say more subtle line. Like I didn't even really pick up on it the first time I watched the movie. It wasn't until a second viewing. But it's after they dump the body in the water and he's jumped in to get the tiara and they're going back to, I don't know, their car or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's miraculously already dry because that happens in movies. Of course. But as he's telling them that they're not going to talk about this, that, you know, we're going to take this to our grave. At one point, he finishes a little bit of a like a statement rant by saying it is now merely a future therapy bill. Agreed? That's good. I missed that. And, and I didn't get that until the second viewing, but I'm like, that is fantastic. Just like in the moment, I don't know who's going to be very clever. They're going through a very crazy thing and saying, you know, like, we're going to take this to our grave and make people agree. That all makes sense to me. But then to just randomly throw in a description like that, it's like, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know I like why. It, too. it does seem a little uncharacteristic of him, though. He's not that witty. No, but it's such a it's, good line yeah, that it's really well, good. Honestly, if any one of them had said it, I probably would have put it down as my favorite line. And again, it was, I assume, meant to be more subtle because I didn't pick up on it the first time. You didn't pick up on it. I just happened to catch it the second time through, and I was like, that's fantastic. Um, All right. Memorable scene. So I was very close to picking the Julie spinning around. What are you waiting for scene? Mm -hmm. But I ultimately went with my favorite scene and that was entirely the max kill. Okay. Yep. The max kill is probably the most fascinating thing in this entire movie from a visual standpoint. It is violent, guttural, I don't understand the motivation for it, but it made for some great cinema. There was a few teases up until then. You know, he kind of burns himself on the pot, goes back to get his gloves. The pick is missing, but where is it? Is, you know, is that just going to be, you know, down the road, something with his fingerprints on it that they use for the red herring? And then a couple minutes later, nope, it's what's used to kill him. And this Uh, is prime slasher material yeah it is absolutely it's, well. it's it, it's it's a scene that feels like it belongs in a much better movie yeah it really is uh and you um well that would be my favorite scene but i i went with memorable and since we've been recording my memorable scene has changed because before okay. <laughs> before right now when i think of i know what you did last summer i have always thought about the scene where they hit Ben Willis with um, Barry standing out of the, uh, the sunroof and like dropping, or, like the hit the body hitting him and like him being covered in Ben's blood. Uh, the scene is very well done. And it was a shock. It was a really good shocking scene that came from a, like a place of where we're supposed to feel comfortable with these kids partying. Um, but now I'll never be able to shake the thought of the Billy Blue yearbook scene <laughs> with, with, with Ray being like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> the prime example of how the podcast altered your thought process. Oh, definitely. I will never not be able to think about that when someone says, I know you did last summer. It's a good one. Honestly, all of the scenes that we referenced in this section, 
the spinning around, the Barry getting hit by the body as it gets hit by the car, yeah. uh, the Ray reaction. And I, I, ha- I have to imagine that you also agree with the Max kill scene. Oh, it's fantastic. They're all, they're all potential contenders for this award, and it really is just like a take a pick. Yeah. All right, buddy. So um, we talked about this movie for a while. We talked money. Oh, yeah. This is one reviews. of our longer episodes. Yeah. And awards. Uh, having gone through all of that uh, and watching this movie a couple of times recently now, uh, final thoughts and would you recommend it? Oh, you're going to have me go first for like the first time in the podcast history? Yeah. I like this movie. Yeah, I think it's very good. The biggest problem with this movie is that we had to put it under a microscope because this is a popcorn flick that you should not be analyzing for any sort of critical reception. I love that you said that. Go into it uh, expecting to see some kills, to shut your brain off, to watch Jennifer Love Hewitt run around in tight shirts, Mm -hmm. and you'll have a decent time. I mean, even for... uh, Okay, I don't want to sound too... uh, chauvinistic or anything but I, I you know i'll put in there you know barry and ray look pretty good on camera too they're nice to look at they're all uh, beautiful you know, people yeah ryan comes out of a shower at one point looking pretty barry like um it's a fun time just don't analyze it yeah it's a, it's a great film to throw on if you want to watch beautiful people being scared yeah. um it's and isn't that isn't that the foundation of the entire genre Exactly. It ought, it is just fun. Um, if you analyze it, like you said, the flaws are very apparent. And I, to, I told you earlier that this is a popcorn film, and that's exactly what it is. You're just supposed to watch it flippantly, enjoying it. You know, just have fun with it because that's the whole point. It's not trying to win awards. It's just well, trying it won to entertain. Some awards from us. Yeah. But it is just trying to entertain. And it is a very entertaining film. And it is a fun mystery. Um, Albeit there's some, you know, speed bumps in its storytelling. But, I mean, there are different parts that caught me off guard that I completely forgot about. Um, The mystery elements, when revealed, are pretty entertaining and well thought out. I think the movie's a well-done, enjoyable time. But, yeah, just don't don't go in expecting it to be, like, Oscar material. Because you're no. going to be sadly disappointed. Don't don't even expect it to be scream. Just just go yeah, into it. Ex- you can't. Just, just go into it with no expectations. Yeah, teenagers being scared. All right. Well, I didn't expect you to like this movie. I really didn't. Well, I w- I'd like. I I had a lot to criticize, but I will say I did two viewings. Obviously, like I always do for for this movie in this one week. And they were both easy watch. Yeah. It, it, you know, this movie is a little bit longer than maybe it needs to be. It's like an hour 42. Yeah. It could easily be cut down to like 80, 90 minutes. Easily. There are, there are definitely a few things that could be cut out. But even at its length, it doesn't feel long. It just goes by. It's an easy watch. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are our thoughts on I Know What You Did Last Summer. If you guys want to share your thoughts with us, you can hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter at BS Bargain Bin, Facebook.com slash BS Bargain Bin, BS or leave a comment in the comment section of the YouTube video. All right, Ben. Next week is our September fan pick review. What are we doing? Uh, the internet has done us well, Sandro. Um... We'll be covering uh, Derek's pick 
1988's Bloodsport. For centuries, the Society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it. Now, for the first time, the true story of America's super agent, Frank Dukes, can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Hong Kong. Frank is going to fight in the Kumite, and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. There it's me just looking at it. Who infiltrates the Chinese underworld. I did not come this far to stop now. Take him. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules. No press. You're telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style... Every worthy opponent, every deadly technique, clash in savage combat. I'm separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I will break you. International martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport. The true story of the ultimate champion. Until next week, have a good one. All the best.